are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Wednesday show for you. We're going to talk about Michigan and Ohio State. Got some thoughts on it. I know it was the past Saturday, but I just haven't gotten around to it. We're going to go over some college win totals over-unders. We are going to talk about the college football playoffs again this weekend. There is a scenario that I haven't given you yet. We're going to talk about the NBA in-season tournament because you know why? Our matchups are set for the quarterfinals in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. So we will look at that, and I'm going to spend as little as time of this as possible, but I have to briefly talk about fantasy football and how much I hate it. <laughs> we'll get to that momentarily. All right, let's first start off talking about college win totals. And at the beginning of the season, in that Friday before the first weekend of games, I gave you five college over-under win totals for this year. We went three and two on those. I said the three winners were LSU under nine and a half. They went nine and three, winner. I said Colorado over three and a half. They went four and eight, (laughs) winner. They were also four and one at one point. We know they lost seven in a row to end the season. And then I gave you Toledo over, I think it was eight and a half, and they went 11 and one. The two losers were Texas under nine and a half. They went 11 and one four games that were in the fourth quarter under six minutes left and it was a coin flip and they won all of them and then i had unlv under five and a half and they were the story of college football this year going 10 and two so three and two in our college football over-unders but overall you know there's so many games obviously there's 133 teams in college football fbs schools And just like most things, when you look at the numbers at the end of the season, whether it's favorites versus underdogs in college and pro, how many favorites covered, how many underdogs covered, how many games went over, how many games went under, it's usually kind of right down the middle, 50-50. It's not always right down the middle, 50-50, but there's never like a whole season of college football was played in 80% or even 70% of favorites covered. It's always 52-48, 53-47, 51-49. It's... It's like that. Same thing with over-unders. Every team had a over-under set in Vegas for wins at the end of at the beginning of this season. 60 teams went over, 68 teams went under, and five of them pushed. Pretty damn close. Vegas knows what the fuck they're doing. Not that I need to tell you that, but they do. New Mexico State won their season win total. They went over by four and a half games. They were probably... They were the biggest ones in terms of how many they went over by. Missouri, excuse me, Arizona went over by four games. Missouri, Miami, Ohio, West Virginia, and Northwestern each went over by three games. Those were the biggest ones where you really didn't have to sweat it. Now, in terms of the under, the biggest loser was Baylor. They went under their posted total by four games, and then there were Four teams that went under by three games. Pitt, Florida Atlantic, East Carolina, and Buffalo. Right now in the NFL, I did four over-unders, and I did one division champion. It looks like I'm going three and one on the over-unders. Carolina has already hit their under because they're one and ten. They can't go over seven and a half wins. Jacksonville is eight and three they need to go over nine and a half so in six games all they have to do is go two and four at uh at best right at best or at worst 
At the worst, two and four. Yeah, at the worst, sorry. Two and four. We're going to go over that. Pittsburgh is seven and four. They need to go over eight and a half wins. So they've got six games left. They're at worst, just have to go two and four, and they hit their over. So I'm going to win those three. New Orleans is the one that absolutely screwed me. They're not going to go over nine and a half wins. They're five and six. They have to go five and one the rest of the year. Have to. They have to they only have two options. Five and one or six and oh. The way they've played this year, they're not going five and one or six and oh the rest of the year. However, the other division winner I chose was the New Orleans Saints. Right now, they're five and six, but they have these tied for the best record in the NFC South. They're tied with Atlanta. Atlanta would go to the playoffs if it ended today because they're also 5 and 6 but they just beat New Orleans this past weekend. New Orleans can still win the division, which would essentially wipe out the loss for New Orleans not going over 9 and a half wins. So, I'm happy with that. I did put in four Super Bowl bets. I don't think any of them are going to win, but you never know. Two of them are going to get to the playoffs for sure, Miami and Pittsburgh. The other two, I have New Orleans winning the Super Bowl and I have Cincinnati winning the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati one I put in right after they beat the Niners. And unfortunately, Joe Burrow got hurt. Ball game. Cincinnati's not even making the playoffs, let alone winning the Super Bowl. So I'll lose that one. And then I have long shots. Like I said, at the beginning of the year, I put in long shots to win. And not like incredible long shots. 15 to 1 to 30 to 1, I like betting. And yeah, you want them to win, so you win your bet. But the whole point is just get to the Super Bowl, then you can hedge out because at that point, you have a lot of money that you're going to win if they win. So you can, on the back end, just say, all right, well, I'll bet them to lose and I'm going to win either way once they they just have to get to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, even though you're putting in a 15 to 30 to one shot at the beginning of the year to win the Super Bowl, all they have to do is get there for you to win money, guaranteeing yourself winning money. Obviously, if they win, you're going to win more, but you can guarantee yourself some on the other side by hedging. Miami. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think the Saints are going to win. Miami probably has the best chance. You know, what if other upsets happen? I I, I don't think Miami can beat the Chiefs. Um, I do think they can beat the Ravens. Um, I don't think they can beat uh, – and I they, they could beat Jacksonville. I don't know. I mean, what if Miami surprises? They haven't beaten anybody good this year, but they just got to get there. I don't think Miami beats anybody in the NFC. I don't think they beat the Niners. I don't think they beat the Eagles. And I don't think they beat the Lions or the Cowboys if the Cowboys so miraculously get there. So, But those are my bets uh, for season win totals in college. So, And then the NFL. So in college, th- this, is, this is craziness because Ohio State fans, I know you're upset. You've lost to Michigan three years in a row now. You're probably not making the college football playoff this year. But yet you went 11-1, and one, you're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. It's amazing that we've reached a, a time in college sports where 11-1 and one and going to a New Year's Six has the fan base pissed off at the head coach. And I understand. Look, Ryan Day, 1-3 against Michigan, 1-3 in the college football playoff, and he's 55-1 and one against everybody else. <laughs> and yet they want to run him out of town. Like, it's crazy. He's 56-6 and six in his career as a head coach. He wins you minimum 11 games every year. Outside of this year, he's getting to the college football playoff pretty much every year. But he can't win in the playoffs, and he hasn't been beating Michigan. 
I get it. You're frustrated. But tell me this, Ohio State fans. If you fire Ryan Day, or if Ryan Day decides I want to go to the pros because I'm not appreciated here in Columbus because all they care about is win it all for us or we don't want you here, if he decides to leave, who are you getting that's going to go 56-6 and six in his first, what, five years in as your head coach? You can't guarantee that. You know you've got a good thing with Ryan Day. So I would stick with him, hope he turns it around. But then again, I don't know if Ryan Day, there's always been rumors that he is the number one college coach that will leave for the pros. It's already been talked about. It's been rumored that he might be going to the Bears at some point, although I think Harbaugh is going to the Bears. He's gone after this year. He's leaving Michigan. He's not going to stick around for after everything he went through this year. He's done. He doesn't need to deal with the NCAA. He's going to go pro and probably take the Bears job. But if you're the Ohio State Buckeye nation, tell me who you're going to get to replace Ryan Day and say, oh, we can guarantee he's going to do what Ryan did. You could say, well, I, I know this one's going to beat Michigan. You don't know that. You know? Yes, last year he got blown out by Michigan. Bad game. This year he was there. You know? You were right there. You lost by three points, right? <laughs> like, If you're getting blown out by Michigan every year, yeah, be pissed. But didn't Ohio State have that? What what was the run? 12 games, 12 years in a row? 15 years in a row? With Urban and all that and beginning of Ryan's tenure? I get it. You're frustrated. But how pissed do you think Michigan fans were when you were beating their ass 12 years in a row? They were livid. They brought in Harbaugh, and he still couldn't beat you because up until the last three years, Harbaugh did shit against Ohio State and Michigan State, their two biggest rivals. The last three years, he's turned it around. But it takes time. Right now, Michigan has your number. You had their number for almost for over a decade. So just be patient. You're not getting anybody better than Ryan Day. I think the, I think the problem this year wasn't Ryan Day. It was your quarterback. You didn't have the quarterback. You didn't have the, you know, Cardell Jones. You didn't have the... Troy Smith. You didn't have the Terrell Pryor. You didn't have the Joe Burrow, even though he left you. Um, you didn't have those guys. You didn't have JT Barrett, you know? You didn't have Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace. I don't know about Kyle McCord. I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State went out and got somebody in the portal to challenge Kyle McCord. I just didn't see it with him this year, you know? You're going to lose Marvin Harrison. I'm assuming you're going to lose Emeka Ibuka. Are you going to reload? I mean, they are wide receiver you now, and we'll see if Ohio State reloads. But for all those that are wishing death upon Ryan Day and get this guy out of here, he can't beat Michigan, he can't win a big game, I'm sorry. You really blaming Ryan Day for what he did against Georgia in the playoffs last year where he dropped, what, 42 on them? And your kicker was so incompetent that you missed a last-second field goal or else you would have won a national championship under Ryan Day because there's no way you weren't beating TCU. We saw what Georgia did to them. You were going to beat them probably the same score or very well. Uh, you, the game was going to be a blowout. And all it took was, you know, nobody ever thought – people thought you shouldn't have been in the Final Four last year, remember? You lost to Michigan, and yet they still got in as a non-conference champion. And everyone's like, oh, my God, Georgia's going to kill Ohio State. You guys were winning the whole game. You guys dominated that game, definitely the first half. Georgia made their comeback in the second half. You had a chance to win. And you did anything you wanted offensively to that Georgia team who had one of the best defenses ever in college football. 
and you put up over 40 on them. So that's not Ryan Day's fault. Don't I know he's one in three in the college football playoff. I get it. One in three against Michigan. But when you're 55 and fucking one against everybody else, how do you fire a guy like that? I don't know. Speaking of college football, we've been talking about the college football playoff and all the different scenarios, and there's so many, and it's almost like we got to wait. It just has to play out this weekend, and we'll see what happens. Sunday we'll have all of our bowl schedules set and ready to go after all the conference championship games are over. But here's one that I don't think I've talked about, because we've always talked about if it's Alabama and Texas, who are they taking, even though Texas beat Alabama in Alabama in week two. But if Alabama wins – They're beating – they'll have the best win of the year, beating Georgia in Atlanta and ending their 29-game winning streak. I I think they might take Bama. Now I'm hearing that there's no way Bama gets in over Texas. And judging by the rankings last night, they won't. They're eighth. They would have to jump four spots to get in the playoff. Yes, beating Georgia will jump them, but will it jump them four spots? I don't think so. So what about this? What if – Georgia wins, Michigan wins, both 13-0, they're obviously in. Florida State wins, they're going to be in. They are currently sitting at four. If they win the ACC championship and finish 13-0, even though Tate Roadmaker is their quarterback, they don't have Jordan Travis, the committee is not going to drop them. Now, what if Oregon and Texas win? Who gets the fourth spot? Oregon would be a 12-1 Pac-12 champion, Texas would be a 12-1 Pac-12 champion. Both of them would have four wins over teams in the top 25. That's probably going to be the biggest debate of the weekend if that scenario plays out. Georgia, Michigan, and FSU all win, and Oregon beats Washington, and Texas beats uh, Oklahoma State, which is very, very possible because we already know Georgia's winning. It's, I mean, excuse me, Michigan is winning. They're not losing to Iowa. So, It's the Georgia and FSU thing that's like, if they both win and Oregon beats Washington and Texas wins, the three 13-0 conference champions are in. Who gets in between Oregon and Texas? They didn't play each other, and they both have the same amount of wins. Right now, I think it would be Oregon, because right now Oregon is number five in the rankings, and Texas is sitting at seven. I'm telling you, Texas is probably going to get punished. And they're going to get punished, even though they only lost one game, they're going to get punished for struggling with Houston, for beating Kansas State by three, and for almost losing to Iowa State and you know beating them by 10 or whatever it was. They struggled in that middle of the season, whereas Oregon just curb stomps everybody that they play. And they have one loss at Washington. If they avenge that loss and are 12-1 Pac-12 champions, and that's the scenario that plays out this weekend, I think they're getting in over Texas. And I don't think Texas will have nearly as much of a gripe not getting in over Oregon than they would not getting in over Bama. But I don't think Bama is getting in now over Texas. I've said it for two weeks that I thought they were. doesn't look like they are now because they're sitting at eight in the rankings. And if they win and Texas wins, I don't see how Bama jumps four spots. Hell, if Bama wins and they beat Georgia barely, does Georgia even fall out of the top four? I don't even know if if Bama beating Georgia guarantees them a spot in the final four. That's going to be – I mean, if you want chaos this weekend, the Bama win over Georgia would cause the chaos because that would start the most controversy and would, 
would garner the most discussion because then you're talking about does Bama go from eight to four? Does Georgia drop from number one to number five? If they lose by three points, are they really dropping four spots in the college football poll? It certainly doesn't seem like it. They're the best team in the nation right now. If they lose by three, are we really dropping them to five and out of the college football playoff? Seems hard to believe. So there's craziness that can happen this weekend, but the ultimate craziness will happen. I mean, if Louisville beats Florida State, it's just going to allow Oregon or Texas to get in. If We know Michigan's not losing, but it's the Georgia one. If Alabama beats Georgia, there's going to be chaos because then you're going to have discussions on conference champions, same record, same record conference champion, same record not a conference champion. But what is the criteria? The criteria is supposed to be the four best teams, not the four most deserving and not the four best resumes. It's who are the four best teams. The problem with that definition is that's completely subjective. What does the word best mean? Because anybody making an argument for the team they want in the top four can easily lay out, hey, they did this, 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 and this. And the team that the guy that wants somebody else on the college football committee can say, well, my team did this, 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 and this. And then a third guy can say, well, my team did this, 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 and this. So there's no definition of best in terms of they have to fit this criteria. It's just, what, 13 people in a room, and they decide who are the four best teams. Now, you might think, what a crappy situation. What a crappy college football determination of how they get their champion. Four teams, and, you know, look, next year we're going to 12. That's fine. However, we have four undefeated teams going into this weekend. What if all four undefeated teams win? There's going to be your final four. It's going to be Michigan. It's going to be Florida State. It's going to be Washington. And it's going to be Georgia. If those four stay undefeated, there's going to be your final four. Remember what we had before the college football playoff? We had something called the BCS, where the BCS only took the top two teams. Who the fuck would they have taken this year with four undefeateds? It never happened in during the BCS era, where multiple teams over two that weren't, um, I think there was one year where there was a third team, but it wasn't a Power Five from a Power Five conference. They never had, I think, three or four undefeateds. Maybe one year they did. But what I'm saying is, take this year, take Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Washington winning, and put it in the BCS era. Two teams would have been 13-0 and and conference champions and would not have gotten to play for the national championship. So anybody that complains, oh, I love the BCS. Why do we have a four-team playoff? There will always be people who bitch, but when you get down to 12 teams next year, I don't think people are going to be bitching that the 13th team that got left out, the one that just missed out on making the top 12, was a serious contender for the national championship. Of course, we don't know because they would have never made it, but at least with 12, you're going 12 teams out. You know, I don't think people are going to be bitching about teams 13, 14, and 15 that were on the fringe, you know, but that's what we're getting into. All right, a couple things to end with here. The NBA in-season tournament. How about this? I don't know if you know this, but our games are pretty much set. At the beginning, I said they are set. They're pretty much set, and here's why. Because there's one game, as I'm recording this, that's not over. 
and I'll get to that in a second. But your Eastern Conference quarterfinals are set. The Knicks are going to play at the Bucks. The Celtics are going to play at the Pacers. Then in the Western Conference, the Suns are at the Lakers, and the Pelicans are going to play the winner of the Kings-Warriors game. As I'm recording this, the Warriors are up 119-114 with two minutes left. So the only way the Warriors could have hosted the quarterfinal game was if they beat Sacramento by 28 or more. They're not going to win by 28 or more, up five with two minutes left. But if Golden State holds on to win this game, Golden State will play at the Pelicans. If they win the game, but by less than 28, yes, Warriors are at Pelicans. They will be at the Pelicans if they win by 28. Well, they're not going to win by 28 or more. And then the Pelicans, if the Kings beat the Warriors, it's Pelicans versus Kings. So let's just say the Warriors hold on to win. Suns, Lakers, Warriors at Pelicans, Knicks at Bucks, Celtics at Pacers. The four winners, the two winners in the Eastern Conference and the two winners in the Western Conference, then go to Vegas. It's the seventh and the ninth, I believe. So the semifinal games are at the T-Mobile Center, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, the Eastern Conference semifinal game, then the Western Conference. I don't know which game's first, but those two teams play that night, and then two nights later they play for the championship. So it's drawing a little bit of interest, you know. I mean, I'll watch it. I think it's cool. It's still – I don't know if the stakes are high enough, and I don't know how to change it. There's been some – talk about hey why don't we make the in-season tournament champion why doesn't it automatically guarantee them a playoff berth interesting now what if it's won by a team that was already going to make the playoffs anyway i guess that doesn't change anything but you know we don't know i mean right now what if the pelicans end up winning this nba in-season tournament what if they win it they're not a guaranteed playoff team in the west so what if the rule was yeah you win the in-season tournament you have to figure out You'd have to come up with another caveat to it, like, hey, but at the end of the season, if you're out of the playoff race, are we just putting a team in because they won the in-season tournament? I guess that was that's the thing. It may At least there's an incentive. $500,000 to every player is not an incentive for people that are making $30, $40, $50 million a year. Now, granted, the guys at the end of the bench would love an extra $500,000 for sure, but I just don't think that's a much of an incentive. These teams are going to try. They're certainly going to want to win. I think they'll like playing the semifinal games in Vegas and then the final game in Vegas. That'll be cool for them. They get to go to Vegas during the regular season, something they don't get to do because there's no franchise in Vegas yet. There will be, but there isn't one right now. So I think that part of it will be cool. They'll probably make a spectacle of it. They'll probably have a nice halftime show or a concert in between the two games. I don't know what they're going to do. Just don't make it Jack Harlow, please. Um, but let's see what how it plays out. I just think there needs to be some more incentive to win this thing other than each player gets $500,000. I don't know what it is. Guaranteeing a playoff spot, I you have to think that through a little bit more. And finally, just wanted to talk about fantasy football real quick because it's going to be real quick because I don't care about your fantasy team and you certainly don't care about mine. But this season is playing out exactly like I said it would play out like any other fantasy football season, and that is this. I know people love fantasy football. It is a huge business in the United States. However, it's so much luck. Don't tell me there's any skill involved in fantasy football. I drafted Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup. They were two of the best three receivers in the NFL last year, fantasy-wise. I had two of the best three receivers and I'm sitting in ninth place out of 12. Why? Because Justin Jefferson went on the IL 
and missed seven games. And Cooper Cup missed the first four games of the season, which I didn't know at the time of our draft. And then he comes back. I think he had two good games. Then he hurt himself again, and he's had a bunch of shit games. I also had Almon Ross St. Brown, who's been my best player. But you can't get by in fantasy football with one good player. But can you imagine if I had Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, and Almon Ross St. Brown the whole season? I'm guessing I'd be better than ninth place. But that's the thing. Yeah, I went on the waiver wire and I tried to pick up receivers, but it's not replacing the money I spent to get those guys. So that's what I mean. It's such luck. I, uh, fantasy football drives me nuts. Just thought I'd throw that out there again and complain about injuries and Justin Jefferson missing seven games because of his hamstring. Ugh. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review if you can. I'd really appreciate that. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. See you.